This episode is brought to you by Extinet Systems. Connecting customers quickly, securely, and reliably to networks and solutions is more crucial than ever. Extinet Systems powers the networks that make buildings run with secure 5G and fiber-neutral host solutions found in thousands of locations, relied upon by some of the largest sports and entertainment venues in the country. With services that include infrastructure, indoor-outdoor mobility, private wireless networks, and enterprise connectivity, Extinet provides businesses with what they need to thrive. Visit extinet.com to learn more. That's E-X-T-E-N-E-T dot com. Does your venue need a high-capacity, reliable network to provide a better fan experience? Did you know that Matsing's innovative lens antennas provide the highest capacity connectivity in stadiums and arenas globally, with only a few antennas needed to cover entire venues? Contact Matsing at matsing.com to discuss your venue's advanced connectivity needs. Sports stadiums and large public venues come in all shapes and sizes. Some have domes, some have natural grass fields, some have banked concrete ovals where cars drive fast. While no two stadiums may be perfectly alike, there's one thing that all stadiums today have in common, a reliance on technology. This is the Stadium Tech Report podcast, where we talk to people on both ends of the stadium technology equation including the stadium technology teams who deploy it and use it, and the vendors and service providers who supply it. I'm Paul Kapuska, editor of the Stadium Tech Report and your host on the Stadium Tech Report podcast. For a long, long time, there was almost zero innovation around stadium concession operations, but that's simply no longer the case. The intersection of new technologies and increased fan and business demands have spurred an explosion in concession innovation from optical scanner self-checkout machines to checkout-free stores to systems that let you use your face to buy a beer. What's driving this revolution, and how do stadiums and concessionaires work together to implement all the new ideas? Listen in as we talk to Alicia Wozniacki, Vice President of Marketing and Innovation, at Aramark Sports and Entertainment about how this revolution got started and where it's headed, next on the Stadium Tech Report podcast. Alicia, welcome to the show. I have one opening question for you. How much has technology changed the stadium concessions world? It's an interesting question because I think when I think about my time in sports and entertainment, I started at Aramark about eight years ago. And when I did that, kind of you know, what I was tasked with was looking at some pilot technology programs because there really wasn't much innovation in service style or tech in the stadium and arena world. And now here I sit eight years later thinking, you know, just on a call today talking about, you know, the different, all the different technologies we have in our buildings. And really, you know, when we looked back at our NFL um, portfolio and, you know, how those transactions shook out. 7% of all of our transactions came through non-traditional points of sale. Wow. So that's, and that's like a 50% increase from what happened the prior year. So, you know, we are really continuing to 
test out new technologies, and then try to rapidly scale what's working. So um, it really has changed the, you know, the dynamic of the concessions world. Sure. Uh, let's back up a little bit, too. Why don't you explain to our audience just a little bit of you know, who you are, where you work, I think you said Aramark already, um, and how you came to sort of be at this position, because you know, sure. it, it is really a <laughs> nothing prepared you for this, I can tell you that. No, exactly, <laughs> right? Um, so actually, my background is in brand strategy and marketing. Um, I worked in USR, Fast Casual prior to this. And, you know, when I joined Aramark eight years ago in sports and entertainment, um, it was really to bring some of that same marketing strategy to this world. And again, I think my role has evolved much more from traditional marketing to really thinking about anything that impacts the fan experience. And my team is really a cross-functional team now of different types of experts. So we have consumer experience designers, marketers, operators, IT people, right? So we're trying to really look at it from a holistic vantage point and really be the innovation engine for our business, um, continuing to kind of bring new ideas to bear, but not just looking at technology in a vacuum, but really how do we you know, implement technology and design the entire consumer experience around it so that it's going to drive those business outcomes that we want. So um, I get really excited about the opportunity in sports and entertainment because I think it really is the ultimate testing ground. Because, you know, in a brick and mortar store, if you implement something that maybe doesn't work, it's, you know, impact on the entire operation where here you can test and learn something and be a little bit more flexible. If it doesn't work, there's a place right next door that people can still go to, right? So you can learn without as much of the risk. And so, you know, we've had a really, really good time testing out new things and have had great partners on the team side who partner with us on that, both from kind of bringing those ideas to us as well as being willing to kind of take a chance on some of the things that we think are going to move the needle. Can you expand on that last bit? Because that's always been interesting to me, you know, the relationships between an Aramark and a team or a venue. Can you just drill down a little in that, maybe explain who makes the call? Is it something you would propose to a team or a venue and then they say yes, no, or do they just kind of put it all in your hands and say, tell us how it worked when it's done? So I would say it's definitely a mixed bag based on kind of client priorities, sponsorship, and those types of things. But what I will say is what we want to do is be a consultant to our partners, right? So I'm always going to try to bring things to them that I think are going to make their overarching fan experience better, right? To get people out of lines and back to the game that they're there to enjoy or to create a really immersive experience that is going to, you know, enhance their game viewing um, with from a food and beverage perspective. Um, and so I would say we always want to lead and, you know, leverage our expertise to help take something off of our, you know, our team's plates. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of things that they bring to us and say, hey, person's going to sponsor um, something and we need to figure out how to operationalize that. Or we feel really passionate about this particular technology. Can you help us figure it out? But I will say, like, it's a little bit of a push-pull. And some people are very willing to be, you know, the guinea pigs and be first to market and say, hey, we're going to try this. And other people want to sit back and say, prove it out to me first, right? So it really is client-dependent and deal-structure-dependent. But we're there to meet our clients where they need us. 
Okay. I would guess that Denver at Empower Field at Mile High is one of the forward-pushing ones because I think that was the first place I ever saw any real um, sort of innovation in the concession site. It had always been a thing for me. I think four or five years ago, I wrote a column saying, why is there no you know, innovation on concessions? We do the same thing. It's the same hot dog stand. Shift forward to now, and it's completely different. And in Denver, you know, we saw Aramark using the, the Mastin terminals pretty early on for the drink market stands. And I wonder how much of that is the technology informing the new types of stands or the idea of we want a fast stand, how can we make it work with technology? So I think this is a really great example. We were the first actually in the Denver market. We did launch Mashin in the sports uh, business. And again, what was Pepsi Center? Really, we just wanted to say, like, does this operationally work? We kind of just put it on a counter and said, like, let's just see, right? But we didn't, what we realized is, yes, it does work, but it works a lot better when people are self-shopping and then using it for checkout as it does to say, like, okay, someone's still going to belly up concession. I'm going to grab your food and put it on there for you, right? And then you just bring it up. So that was something that we unearthed, we thought was really cool. We did a very, very much an ops beta test to say, can this thing work? And when it did, we realized very quickly that, okay, we have to build a new model of a concession stand around. So the first place that we actually did that was a Cap One Arena in um, DC. And we built this kind of fan favorites express model. So it was beverage, but also, you know, the four favorite foods that you like that hold really well that we can just grab and go. So popcorn, pretzels, hot dog, nachos, and the things that you just want to get and get back to the game. That was the first place we launched that. We saw a ton of positive results and we saw that's where we really saw the whole entire line length and the, you know, speed of service, you know, flip. And then what we learned there was we had one singular cooler, right? In that first build out. It was a little look, it was a little location, <laughs> right? And we said, Oh my gosh, where this is the most successful. Um, and what we're, you know, is with beverage. And so we built a walkthrough brew program which is a portable in baseball that we launched in every baseball account. And hands down, I would never build a beer, another beer portable again, right? If I could change it and have every single thing be a walkthrough brew, that's what I would do because it's just such a better experience. So what we thought was really cool was not only was it faster, right? But all of a sudden I can offer more variety and it's still mm-hmm. faster. When before it was, oh, Every time I add a new SKU, it's another, it's a longer decision set for our, you know, guest. And then the beer portable attendant has to like find that beer and the whole thing slowed down. So this was really nice because not only do you get it faster, but you get a lot more variety, which led to the drink market being built at Empower Field, where it was, you know, not just a portable, but a fully blown out market solely dedicated to beverage and something that's obviously, you know, drives a lot of our revenue in football, especially. So, so that's kind of like just the evolution. And then I think specifically in Denver, not that we don't have, it's not a tough labor market everywhere, but it is there. Right. And so it was something that our client felt really passionate about was figuring out, you know, we can't get enough people to work in this building. How are we going to make sure that we can get more efficient and serve our guests quicker? So that was something that was, from day one um, in taking over that building, a charge that we had. That's why you'll see so much presence of that in that building specifically. And we're continuing to evolve there. Yeah, I, I mean, that was when we did our yearly survey this year of stadium tech operators. 
you know, their number one concern was staffing. And it, it seems like, you know, a lot of these choices play right into that field because instead of, it's not necessarily, people always say eliminate a job. It's not eliminating a job, right? Yeah. You're taking somebody from doing the mundane task of reaching back, grabbing something, ringing something up and moving them to, you know, a higher value job, if you will. Coming up, we take a look at the checkout free concession stand revolution and why it's such a natural fit for sports. More with Alicia Wozniki after the break. This episode is brought to you by Xtenet Systems. Connecting customers quickly, securely, and reliably to networks and solutions is more crucial than ever. Xtenet Systems powers the networks that make buildings run with secure 5G and fiber-neutral host solutions found in thousands of locations, relied upon by some of the largest sports and entertainment venues in the country. With services that include infrastructure, indoor-outdoor mobility, private wireless networks, and enterprise connectivity, Xtenet provides businesses with what they need to thrive. Visit xtenet.com to learn more. That's E-X-T-E-N-E-T dot JMA is a leading provider of distributed antenna systems in hundreds of stadiums worldwide, delivering the best performance, highest reliability, and lowest total cost of ownership. Our platform ensures that you're 5G ready when it comes time to add a private wireless 5G network to your existing venue infrastructure without a rip and replace, providing a foundation of wireless connectivity to improve the fan experience while reducing operating costs for stadium owners and broadcasters. Visit jmawireless.com app to explore more. You guys also did a shift from year over year when the Zipin technology became available. And I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit too, because that, you know, it seems like another step in the same direction or maybe a little bit side direction. It's faster, it's quicker, it's it's definitely, you know, lower staff things. What, you know, was that just something you found and said, hey, we can apply this to that? Yes. Um, I, you know, we have kind of been looking at that solution even when we kind of went the mash in direction year one. I think, you know, when we looked at it, it was COVID, right? And we were very much focused around any touch in the whole experience. And so this is like the next step in that frictionless uh, right. environment. And to me, like those things, a Mashin or a Zipin or an Amazon just walk out, they seem they didn't originally see each other as competitor, right? No. They saw this as a different thing. But to me, from a guest perspective, the service style is the same. I walk into something, I shop myself, and I either very quickly check out or I just walk out. Um, and so we kind of felt like, okay, well, we already have the stands built. So there's no investment in having to like reorient these stands. Let's try to layer in this technology and see if we get additional efficiency. And what I'll say there is, I mean, both of them are super efficient, right? If you get the right number of gates at entry, or if you have the right number of mastins, right? You can see the same lift in overall transaction time with either of those technologies. I think it's really more about the overarching fan experience, right? Of a completely frictionless store versus something that, you know, you still have to do a little bit of work, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I would say, again, there's some flexibility with a mash gen, right? Whereas like you're building in the store and the store is where it is when you invest in something like a zip in, right? And mash and I can say, okay, well, I might need to add another one because, you know, our volume is greater than we expected or our volume is less than we expected. So I can move this unit over here, right? So 
they solve for different things, but I still think both of them are very meaningful. Um, it's just one of those things where the expense around kind of building out some of these experiences is, is beyond just the cost of the tech, right? You have to build, again, a market out of what was a, you know, concession stand before. Right. So I think that's important. So just really thinking through the whole consumer journey and where the technology fits in. I hadn't put this down on our list of questions, but it, it just occurred to me. Do these things also show, and, and I, I know it's kind of hard to compare apples to oranges, but is there a significant lift in terms of revenue and per cap? And I think you mentioned with the first one, you know, just sort of an acceleration in sales that you didn't have before, because it strikes me that with the faster throughputs, there's more opportunity to serve more people or, you know, maybe the same person multiple times. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I'm just curious, do, do these things really help on that end? Yes, for sure, right? So I think what we have to look at from an ROI perspective is no doubt are they faster. No doubt does it drive more transactions and more revenue. It's just there's also that much larger investment in the build-out sure. too and the purchase of this equipment. However, you also have to look at it from a labor savings perspective, right? So there is you know, a bunch of different, um, we've done a lot, a lot of analysis on this because, because we were testing these things well ahead of, you know, the pandemic, we have standard operating procedures and, you know, plans for each and every one of these technologies that we've deployed because they solve different business challenges, um, sure. or work with, you know, different food concepts, right? Better than other ones. Right. You know, as we as we keep talking and going on, you know, there's there's a lots of other technologies too, right? There's the self ordering kiosks, the uh, the marketplace in Denver to me is is one of another sort of great new innovation where you bring you know several different restaurants together and you order all in one spot. We've seen the Cleveland cold ones with the uh, facial authentication, and yes. um, I actually met Ashim from uh, ID Mission. He lives right here in Boulder. Oh, there you um, go. So. <laughs> So that was really interesting, you know, being able to verify IDs uh, yes. you know, through the phone. So it strikes me, there's a lot of stuff happening. Is there room for all these options? I, I mean, I think you just said something about some of them seem to play better with a different type of stand where, you know, the drink market versus a grab and go versus maybe like, a, you know, like the Denver marketplace. Yes. So I will tell you, our data science team um, definitely... It's cursing the day I was hired because every <laughs> <laughs> I'm just continuing to add new um, fees that they need to pull in. But but honestly, there is a place for all of them. And I think again, this we're changing so rapidly, right? So I'll, like it's very interesting, Mashin and Zipin and like those things. People consumers adopted them like no brainer. No real learning curve because you kind of just do what you always do, just take out a couple of steps. Whereas, you know, back in 2016, we launched kiosks and people didn't want to do it. They would rather go to a person and wait in a line. Even, you know, this, no, this kiosk had no line and we couldn't figure it out because, you know, when people use a kiosk or mobile, right, you know, you don't have the line pressure of someone behind you when you're trying to make your decision, right? Right. Um, and you do it in your everyday life. So I would say that that one was really a post-COVID uh, switch where we kept trying to like implement kiosk places. And again, it's not that they didn't do 
something in terms of reduce, you know, the number of staff members you may need as cashiers, right? And you could kind of repurpose them back up house, but we weren't getting the lift that we were hoping to get. The pandemic strikes, I think everybody starts using mobile kiosks a lot more in their everyday life, even if they sure. weren't before. And now we don't see that same hesitation to adoption on the kiosk side. The other thing is we kind of learned where ordering from a kiosk and then picking up works versus where grabbing all of your stuff and checking out on the kiosk works, right? And I would say the first is really, you know, in that kind of Denver food hall marketplace type of idea, you know, where we're doing specialty items that are made to order. That kind of order and then pick up makes more sense. Um, And that one was another one where we were really trying to drive people to use the technology. Let's give you the benefit of ordering from three different locations in one transaction so that there's an incentive to use the tech. And again, once people use it, they love it and we'll say like, oh, I don't want to go back to use, you know, the old way around. But it's like, you know, we're just really trying to create that experience to drive participation. So yeah, I think that there are places for each of these things. I also think, you know, self-checkout kiosks work really great kind of as a value engineered option of a Mashton or something like that, right? You may not get the same level of efficiency from a throughput perspective because there's still some manual pieces that people have to do, but it is slightly faster as well. So I think, again, in a place where you may not have enough events, a lot football where, you know, those annual fees kind of add up quickly, something like that also, you know, makes sense or where you're really trying to say, hey, we cannot hire people in this market. And I just need to have points of sale that people, you know, can engage with on their own. Um, so it's really, you know, more around a labor offset than it is necessarily a speed of service. Coming up, how are teams and venues dealing with the increasing tech stack that comes with more concession technology? More with Alicia Wozniacki after the break. This episode is also brought to you by Matsing. Does your venue need a high capacity, reliable network to provide a better fan experience? Did you know that Matsing's innovative lens antennas provide the highest capacity connectivity in stadiums and arenas globally with only a few antennas needed to cover entire venues. Contact Matsing at matsing.com to discuss your venue's advanced connectivity needs. It was interesting that you mentioned your staff. <laughs> not, not happy with you. What what about the the teams and venues? Because we are I have heard some, you know, just a little bit of pushback from people why they like the innovation, they certainly like the revenue increase. They're starting to worried about all the different technology stacks sort of adding up. You know, you yeah. have the Wicket over here, you have uh, Zippin over here. Is there anything in sight of sort of an Uber management platform for all this, or who's would it? Would that be you know sort of on your bailiwick to bring that? Together? Yeah. So my so our data science team at Aramark um, has you know centralized our data warehouse and brought all of these different POS in that one place, which is really important, right? In order to measure the impact, right? Because again, these things look really great and they're fast, but you have to start, you know, being able to measure them against like stands and other performance metrics that are happening in the building. And we were doing that manually, 
start. Because again, you're not going to take the time to integrate all of those things until you know it's proven, right? So there was a lot done manually that was a burden on, you know, not just the analytics, but also the operations, right? But now we're really working. I think we're in a spot now where all that stuff is centrally housed so we can react to it, you know, in real time and measure it effectively against kind of the core stand. But that was something that, again, was really, you know, top of mind over the past couple of years, right, to get all that in one place. So from an analytics perspective and a, you know, operations perspective, we are there. Um, But I would say like more and more of these continue to pop up. So I think what's going to happen, right, I think, you know, one thing we haven't talked about really is mobile. That's something that, again, despite all of the investment that a lot of teams made in mobile order, it's still just not getting traction. But I think about how long it took for digital mobile ticketing to get <laughs> yeah. to where it is, right? So I think it will get there. Um, and I think we then have to be prepared to make sure that our operations can handle that level of POS in a building. If everything is a POS... Right. That changes the model of how you plan and the demand for that. So I think there's still a future to a lot of that. But you're right. There's going to be probably consolidation, a lot more happening in that realm. Well, that that kind of leads us into into what I I had as the last question. But there is rapid change right now, right? I mean, people are still experimenting. We're seeing the mobile thing is like you have seen so many attempts. But it seems like there are a few now that are gaining traction. And I think it's because of what you said. They started from the back end first saying, look, we need to make sure we have high level connectivity. We need to be prepared for everybody ordering at once. Can you look maybe a little like how far, three years, five years into the future and maybe have some idea what an evolved sessions program looks like? Will it, will it still be a mix across the boards? Will I think it'll still be a mix in three to five years solely because there is a lot of infrastructure required to kind of completely change the dynamic, right? But I do think there is this ability to have, whether it's through your phone or whether it's through camera vision or a combination of both, have a very seamless experience where you can just walk through and with minimal friction, be able to complete any transaction that you want to do, right? And I think that would be beyond food and beverage. How do I buy my tickets? How do I park, right? How do I enter the game, right? Like every What we're trying to do on the F&B side is really make sure that we test out all those technologies that we can control so that we can layer into what our client's broader plan is, right? I would love to work with one of our accounts as they you know, build a new building and you know who oh, knows yeah. when that might be an opportunity, right? But I think... It requires a lot of like just thinking through the infrastructure to properly make a whole scale change. So I think there will be a mix, but I do think that what I really want to do is continue to scale the things that we know work. Like I mentioned, we're not going to, I don't want to build another beer portable, right? And then how do I also eliminate those remaining points of friction? So we talked a little bit about digital ID. That to me with the amount of alcohol that we sell in our buildings, that's something that as we built these very frictionless environments, all it does is highlight that one last remaining point of yeah. friction. Yeah. I still have to pull my ID out physically and show you. So I think that really is something that we're focusing a lot on beyond what we did with the Browns and Wicket um, and looking at you know some other players in the space and really trying to figure out, again, how to move that beyond just a mobile application into a broader physical one. I think a lot will happen there. And to your point, as people become more familiar with them, like in Denver, 
you know, it's like you open one of the zip ins, it's like the next thing you know, you've got to open nine of them because people want them more. Yes. I mean, if someone's like, I mean, it, that I think is actually one of it's something that like Jay, who was our district manager there, um, and I talked about all the time, which is it is such an awesome experience to be at these places when these things go live and have people who are there to watch a game taking pictures of concessions. Of concessions. Right? Like, <laughs> right? like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And tell you, I never want to shop any other way again. And this is so cool, right? I mean, so that that feeling never gets old. Um, yeah, and that's so great. to me, that's what like that's what really energizes me is seeing just, you know, how much this impacts the fans. Oh, that's great. That's a great place to wrap up. Thanks so much for your time today. We'll be excited to keep watching uh, what other you know rabbits you pull out of the hat uh, coming soon. But as always, it's you know it's a pleasure to talk to you, and it's it's just great to see innovation that really helps everywhere. It helps the venues, it helps the fans. You know, it's just great to see. Well, thank you so much for having me, Paul. We'd like to take a quick moment to thank the sponsors of Stadium Tech Report whose support enables us to continue our efforts to bring our objective, unbiased, and unpaid-for content to the stadium technology marketplace. Our supporters include our co-producing sponsor, AmpThink, our survey sponsor, Verizon, our podcast title sponsors, X2Net Systems and Matsing, and our publication sponsors, which include American Tower, Cox Business Hospitality Network, and Boingo. The Stadium Tech Report podcast is brought to you by Stadium Tech Report, the go-to publication for stadium technology news, analysis, and commentary. Technical production for the Stadium Tech Report podcast is led by creative director Dan Grimsley and digital designer Jackie Wen. Web and design work is by David Farris and John David. All contents of the Stadium Tech Report podcast are copyright Stadium Tech Report. Audio video and print content may not be reused without the express written consent of Stadium Tech Report.